Hi there. Welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Our guest today is growth marketing consultant and educator Ramley John, who also happens to be the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, Product-Led Onboarding, How to Turn Users into Lifelong Customers. And that, as it happens, is what we're talking about today, product-led growth. Ramley has some fantastic insights into this. On today's episode, he talks about the three milestones of user onboarding. He offers some advice on best practices for SaaS user onboarding. And he explains why you should think of it as a cyclical process rather than linear. It's a great conversation. So let's head over to the studio to Ramley John. Ramley, I'm delighted you're here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Liam, I'm super excited. I thank you for the invite. I really do appreciate it. And so before we get into it, I'd love to hear a bit about your journey to this point. You started out studying mathematics? Yeah, I did. I started in mathematics, um, got into programming. I did a a startup and one of the failures there was around marketing. So I I shifted (laughs) from computer science here to marketing and growth. So like having that technical background really helped me stand out as a growth marketer. And I started consulting. Uh, and really, when I was consulting, one of the things that I really got into was driving trial signups. And that w- this is way before things like product-led was called uh, product-led growth at all. Like just wow. trying to get people to sign up for for a free trial. One of the things I noticed was that uh, you know I'm getting a lot of signups, but I ask, are any of them sticking around? Yeah. And looking at the data uh, and knowing a little bit of technical side to it, I, I got into their backend and. I found they weren't sticking around. So that's when we really got into to onboarding and seeing how much of a big problem it is for a lot of companies where uh, it's often forgotten. I often call onboarding as the, the ugly duckling of growth because uh, <laughs> you got marketing focused on try, getting, trying to get signups and you got sales trying to get people to show the demo and then you got product people who have a product roadmap and really onboarding is this, this black hole that's often forgotten. So I got into it and really started consulting around that and uh, ended up writing this book, noticing that there isn't a lot of content around it. The book, uh, Product-Led Onboarding, I think yeah. in 2021. So so it, the book is called Product-Led Onboarding, How to Turn New Users into Lifelong Customers. And like user onboard, like it's such a crucial part in a customer's journey. And I, I guess a good place for us to start might be to try and define user onboarding because I suppose depending on who you talk to, you know, some people might think it's just a product tour, a few emails, and others think that there's, you know, a lot more education involved. And and I, I suppose then there's people who don't even give it that much weight at all. So like, how do you define it, Ramley? Yeah, I, the way that I define it is it's a, a way to essentially a first impression, right? From the first impression with your brand all the way to seeing and experiencing the value of your of your product is what I call onboarding, that first initial onboarding. When, when somebody comes to see an ad or your website, they're looking at it and, okay, you, that website is making a promise. And that's the start of, for me, what the start of onboarding, because if that promise is you're over-promising something and under-delivering, like there's no product tour that is going to fix that. So from the promise made to the promise experience where they've achieved that promised land that you've said on your ad or your website or your copy is what I call the initial onboarding. That whole journey is super, super critical from, yeah, from the promise made to experiencing that promise is what I would define as onboarding. 
And I, I know you've written about kind of certain views or talked about certain views on user onboarding that, you know, you talk about these kind of myths that are out there about it, kind of like the aha moment and, you know, that it starts after users sign up and finishes after they convert. You know, are they just myths? Yeah, I think it's perpetuated. I mean, it's like with any buzzword, <laughs> like product like growth, aha moment. It has such a big misconception because it's hard to define that. If you look it up online, you'll get so many different definitions around it. And it's hard to define also because it could be a feeling like what's aha? Like it's also subjective as well. So I, I'd rather call it like value moments, like moments when your user is seeing the value and signing up and starting to experience that value. So I think that's that's a big misconception, especially with aha moment, like you mentioned it, is that it happens after somebody signs up. But there needs to be several ahas for somebody to <laughs> yeah. get to that big, big I, I try to avoid using the word aha as much as possible <laughs> when I'm talking about onboarding, just because of that particular, I'd rather call it value moments because it's, it's very clear that these are moments that you're making a value promise that now you're making, you know, the user is now eventually the whole goal of onboarding should should be to get them to experience the value and eventually adopt that, that value. Absolutely. We will have to, I'll go back and bleep out any aha references after the show. <laughs> so if, I, I suppose you talked a little bit about it there, but what is the end goal of user onboarding? Yeah, I mean, really, it, this is a great tie back to your previous question around myths that typically people think that, well, just get them to the aha moment. But I think that's that misses the whole point of onboarding, which is the end goal around product adoption. Like, How do you get somebody to adopt a product? To phrase it and put it in a different way, like how do you get a user to build a habit around a product? And really like, you know, there are some books like Atomic Habits by James Clear or Tiny Habits by Dr. BJ Fogg that it's more about building habits to build good habits like running and being healthy habits that could be applied to, to users. And really, I think that the, that's the end goal is like, how do you get users to get to that, that value moment of your product multiple times so that it becomes a habit? And once it becomes a habit, it's, it's really where the end goal is with, with onboarding. I, I know of several companies who, who push that, that it's not just the one time. For example, a, a great example I can think of is Slack. You know, typically the first moment of value is when somebody signs up for Slack and mm. sends their friend or the colleague or the coworker a message. That's the first time. But, you know, for most, most people, it's like, oh, that's the aha moment. We're done with onboarding. But <laughs> Stu- Stuart Butterfield was very clear about this, uh, the CEO of Slack. He's like, you know, what they found was like really driving an organization to send 2,000 messages because they found that that's the moment when an organization is 93% more likely to stick around. Right. So, I mean, like they're really, really driving onboarding ends when we're, we have a good indicator that this user or this organization or this team is going to stick around longer term because that's when we, they, they built that habit or they've adopted our product longer term. And the end goal is, is, is retention at the end of the day with, with onboarding. So I wonder, like, could you talk us through the kind of three milestones that you've mentioned before, I suppose, of user onboarding, like value perception, value realization, and value adoption? Because they are super important. Yeah, I mean, those three milestones are super important. It goes back to the, making that that promise. I mean, that, that value 
perception when they realize how that product can help them be better, a better person, a better <laughs> worker, a better employee, a better friend, if it's a consumer product. Yeah. That perception, that's when the promise is made and the promise is stuck in their mind. I mean, I'm using word promise, but this is essentially positioning and messaging. That's where like really product marketing is super mm. important because that flows through them realizing that and really experiencing it. Like there's got to be that once I've heard the promise, okay, are you, does your promise make sense? They experience that promise. Okay, the promise has completed. I'm a better person. It makes my job easier. With Slack, it makes my workflow easier so that I don't have to be uh, connected with with email. Yeah. And the very final thing that, that you mentioned really is around that adoption. Now that now that I've realized it, this is something that I want to continue using. And the, that's the very last stage of this onboarding. It's like, I've heard about the promise. I've experienced it. Now I want to continue going forward with it. Those are the what I see as the three milestones really to, to onboarding journey. And like some people, you know, argue that user onboarding is it's only about helping users to experience the value of your product and that's it. <laughs> but you, I, I think you definitely disagree with this. Yeah, I it really, it really isn't. I think it's just one of the examples I, I brought up is really around, um, you know, if, if you want to, especially with people who are making New Year's resolution, they think about, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. So they sign up for a gym membership. <laughs> We've all been uh, there. And, <laughs> yeah, same here. And they're like, they go to the first time at the gym. They feel great. They feel healthy. And, you know, that's, they've experienced the value. But it's not enough. Like as a business, sure, especially with product-led or self-serve products where a lot of users are not stuck in a long-term contract or even an annual contract in that matter. Like imagine if gyms worked in a way like you can cancel month to month. You're not signed up to an annual contract. <laughs> There'll be a lot of cancellation in February. So like if I was a gym and I'm in that situation, my goal really is so how do I get people to come back here again, get them excited, get them healthy and uh, come back over and over again. I think that's really why it's important in applying that now to products. Like sure, you can help the person once, but how do you, you continue to help them ongoing so that they not just use your product for that one particular use case, but eventually there is the potential for them to use your product for other use cases where, you know, going back to the gym analogy, uh, they come to the gym, they work out, maybe you can get them excited about your protein shakes that you saw at the gym. <laughs> so now there's a whole like potential for, for revenue expansion because you're really helping this person out and getting them to be successful really gets tied back to your success as, as a business. I think that's, that's how I would respond to, to that. I, I love that, you know, like you say, like using it once doesn't mean users will continue to value your product like by any means and, and that it's kind of like a cyclical process rather than, you know, just a straight line. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's not, I love how you put it there. It's not just a straight line. It needs to be cyclical where, you know, people think, well, once they've experienced that value, they've, you know, coming back, my job uh, to help with onboarding is it, done. Like there is other use cases, like, that you can potentially use your product for that they they haven't used it for. Like with the gym example I mentioned earlier, why don't you onboard them to uh, massages <laughs> if you offer yeah. that? or protein shakes or, you know, what are other ways you can help this person adjacent problems that they have around this problem 
a space that they have. You know, there's some great examples around that, that companies are doing, like, you know, with HubSpot, they have like HubSpot marketing. And then once they've realized that, well, let's adjust another adjacent problem is HubSpot sales and HubSpot support. So I think that's a big use case. It's the same thing with Intercom. I think I used that in the book as uh, an example where you get them to to sign up for a particular use case and then there's ways to onboard them to other use cases that gets them to expand to their plans and, and revenue. So I suppose in terms of like some advice, some, you know, what would some best practices be that like you'd recommend for like SaaS user onboarding? I'm going to go to self-serve first. And the reason why I'm kind of picking on, on product-led or self-serve companies first is it sometimes it's so easy to get disconnected with users. The right. thing that I love about sales-led, and it's funny because uh, I coach at product-led, <laughs> the thing I love about sales-led <laughs> is you're connected with the customer. You understand their, you know, your sales team has, understand their problems. Uh, you understand where they're getting stuck in their onboarding flow and in their, if there's a disconnect in the positioning or the messaging, like their questions will come up in the conversation in the sales side approach. In a product and self-serve, especially for SaaS, they need to be more intentional about really reaching out and understanding their users and understanding where they're getting stuck. And really there's got to be a habit around user research and like, you know, really like taking a look at, well, is our positioning and messaging really connecting? Because if if we get that piece wrong, then there's no product tours or tooltips or anything that will work there. It's the messaging across the board consistent so that it's getting them excited about the product and getting them to come back over and over again. Is a product tour right for us? Because sometimes product tour can be adding friction or or would a user actually find that helpful? Because that you know, when it comes to product tours, it really depends on on your user side. So sure. I think that's I think that's a big first step. And often the big mistake that I see a lot of companies do is they just, you know, they ask me, Rami, what's the best, best tool for onboarding <laughs> so I can set up a product tour? And I'm like, how well do you know your users? Do you know the jobs that they're trying to do with your product, the jobs to be done? You know, what are the their emotional journey their What are the functional jobs they're trying to accomplish with your product? And often it's, it's not very clear to them. And I think the danger with that is they set up this product tour and it becomes very convoluted. It points out every single thing because there is no drive to get users to complete this one, what I call the value realization, that moment when they realize that, that value product. And if it's not clear, then you end up just pointing every single feature in your product. So I think that's where I would start is really understanding users because like everything else yeah. flows from that, especially in, when it's designing and improving your onboarding. So I, I suppose after talking through that, I, I'm kind of thinking like, what are the signs of bad user onboarding or, or what does bad user onboarding look like? One of the biggest problems I've, I've seen, is it goes back to that product tour that points out every single thing in the future. What happens with that is when people in, in an organization isn't clear about what user success is, and that's exactly what happens. And to make this even more absurd as an example, it's like going into like a grocery store and somebody's stopping you and pointing out, hey, Liam, can I give you a tour? Here's where the chicken is. Here's where the, the bread is. Here's where the banana yeah. is. Here's where the chocolate bar is. And you're like, hey, man, I'm just here to make a sandwich. <laughs> just, give me, <laughs> just give me what I need to make a sandwich. And when you have that clear idea of what users are trying to accomplish, then you can be like, okay, oh, oh you just want a sandwich. Okay, here's the bread. Here's the mayo. Here's the chicken. 
So I, I think that's the big mistake that I often see is like, oh, here's this feature. Here's this feature. Here's the feature. Like, how does that tie back to getting that user to that first quick win, especially with, with limited time and a lot of users are very impatient. It's super, super important to be clear as to how that, that feature or that step is going to help them succeed right away or else you're really going to lose them. I think that's what I often see as a mistake. Yeah, uh, it's just like pointing features that doesn't tie back to user success. And I think that's probably why we ended up quitting the gym there with all the, the candy and chocolate that was being pushed on us. That's so true. <laughs> I suppose one thing you mentioned earlier on, or one author you mentioned earlier on was BJ Fogg. And I was going to ask you about kind of, you know, if users are falling off during the user onboarding process, like what can you do about that? And I know that you're a fan of the BJ Fogg behavior model. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great model around building habits. I mean, I highly recommend his, his book, Tiny Habits, that is about you know how to build good habits and let go of old ones. By the way, BJ Fogg works at Stanford. So like he's a behavioral scientist. So this framework that he has has been applied to several of his, uh, of his students as well as other people that he's worked with. So like, you know, if users are falling off in, in terms of onboarding and not building the habit, he has this framework called the BJ Fogg behavior uh, model where like that there's three potential you know, factors that could be playing into it. The first one is ability. The second is motivation. And the third is prompts. So when it comes to ability, is there any way to make it easier for that particular step? So when I think about easier, like an example could be, can you provide templates or um, any way that you kind of remove, that makes it easier for users to achieve that first a success moment for right. or value moment for users? That's the first one. The second is around motivation. So how do you increase motivation? And one of the dangers with motivation is kind of offering reward. So if you do this, here's a free shirt. <laughs> if you do this, <laughs> here's a, the danger with this. Uh, and there's study around this is that maybe people are, are doing that particular thing just to get the shirt and not necessarily yes. <laughs> to build that habit. <laughs> so I think that's super uh, dangerous. One thing that BJ Fogg suggested is really like to internalize what and visualize what is the end outcome. Uh, you know, if you're going back to that gym, to increase the motivation. <laughs> it's like visualizing yourself as being healthy and fit during the summer, especially uh, in wintertime. You're imagining yourself being successful with that. And it's the same way with users. It's like how this is really where uh, messaging and copy and content really comes in to get people excited from the very early on as to like how this, this product, this use case can really help them succeed and become better with that. So I think that's motivation is using content and copy to really get them excited about this. And the last one is around prompts. So like, you know, when, when it comes to prompts, maybe there's not enough email or any kind of way to, to prompt people. And there's in-app prompts, which is like product tours or tool tips or external prompts like email or, or yeah. texting. Those are one second views. I mean, obviously, there's a moment where there's too many prompts, where you've gotten like a hundred emails from different things. There's really got to be a balance there. And that's the same thing he suggested. There's just got to be enough prompts for people to continue with that particular habit. So I think those, those are the three things, ability, motivation, prompts. And it's been helpful to build habits in my personal life as well. So I think it's very helpful to build habits for, for users. 
That's super useful. And actually, yeah, it's great to hear kind of like for, for habit building in general, that's that's really useful. And then just before we wrap up, just something I wanted to mention, like in your book, like I love the simplicity of you asking the question, like, why did you decide to read this book? Like, was it the cover? Was it the title? You know, was it someone recommended it? Because I think it illustrates so perfectly you know, that time and first impressions are so important in user onboarding in general. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, first impression is so, so critical. Uh, the example, you know, we, we talked about different examples already. Another example is, imagine if like somebody's reading a website and they think that they're talking about a product management tool and they sign up for it and then they realize once they sign up, it's actually a bookkeeping tool like there, there isn't really going to be anything. Like it's like bait and switch. It's like yes. having that first impression with somebody on the first networking event. And then you find out later on that they're not who they were when you met them for the first time. Like you'd feel maybe betrayed. You feel like there's a bit yeah. of bait and switch. It's the same thing with onboarding. It's time to think about onboarding and not just as a product thing or a product growth thing, but it really needs to involve sales and marketing and customer success. Because that that journey and that promise and that impression needs to remain from first to the very last impression uh, <laughs> to be consistent. So what's next for you, Ramli? You know, you mentioned resolutions earlier on. I'm wondering, do you have any kind of big plans or projects for this year? Yeah, I'm trying to write more again. I, I got busy oh, in the great. last year. And maybe not at this year, but maybe in a couple of years. Definitely writing another book. Um, I've been like already toying around what what is that next thing. I'm also like been recording the audio book version of the book because I know a lot of people are like, we don't read books, we listen to books. Yes. <laughs> so so <laughs> that is coming very soon. Uh, so hopefully when this comes out, like that audio book will be out so that people can listen to it. And I, I'm narrating it myself so that oh, there's great. You know, more dynamic than you know, I stress what I mean with, with certain things versus like hiring somebody to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That's the one thing I always check when I'm listening to an audiobook is, is has the author read it because it's more authentic. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And then lastly, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Ramley John and then LinkedIn. You can also find me Ramley John and yeah, feel free to send me a message. I'd love to hear from people. My DMs are open. Great. Well, Ramli, this has been really useful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ramli John. And if you did, let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, if that is your podcaster of choice, or if not, just say hi on Twitter at Intercom. Okay, that's it. I'll be back next week with another great episode. See you then. This is Inside Intercom.